Hello, and welcome to Looks Unfamiliar, the show that remembers when John Barrowman released an album of songs featured in the 1993 Western Revival of Greece, despite the fact that he didn't actually appear in the 1993 Western Revival of Greece. I'm Tim Worthington, and joining me today to talk about some of the things that she remembers, that no one else ever seems to, is theatre critic Shanine Salmon. Shanine, what are you up to? Where can we find it? I'm on Twitter as at Braintree underscore. And I'm also on a website called View from the Cheap Seat, which up until lockdown was reviewing theatre shows in London and is now just kind of reminding you that there's some streams somewhere in the online universe. Well, yeah, this unexpected downtime might have given you a bit more time to revisit your first choice. (laughs) (laughs) It's a piece of music that people might recognise, but not necessarily in this form. theme obviously there but the EastEnders theme in a not obvious version Shanine what was going on there? I'd love to know I feel like I need to read up on the background to this my memories of it are purely my mum going what is that when it suddenly <laughs> came on and that's what started me and why I've been reminded of it is Drama Channel have come up to 1993 in their showing of what they call classic EastEnders debatable whether these are classic episodes but it's just old EastEnders and they are now at the jazzy EastEnders theme as I call it it lasted about I think it was like 18 months or something which is much longer than I remember it lasting in my mind it was like a few months before someone said this is not acceptable and it doesn't make any sense I'm not really sure what the thinking was really I think it got to a point where EastEnders was about eight years old at that point and just thought we need to do something new and that's what it did and it just doesn't it doesn't even fit in with what was happening musically in 1993 it's such a weird thing to do and such a weird approach to kind of go we need to update the theme let's make it sound like this well that's the thing is I mean people describe it as the jazz theme but I wonder if they have ever actually heard any jazz in their lives and it's certainly talk about what was going on at the time it doesn't sound like the influence or Jimmy required let's let's put it that yeah, way exactly but it seems to be the background to it was not just them thinking you know we need to so i do remember people saying honestly people saying eastenders needs to update the opening titles a bit because it had been on week in week out for you know eight years by that point yeah but there's also i think simon may had a weird obsession with reconfiguring that tune because going back to the very beginning eastenders wasn't a hit at first but what really sort of pushed it through was BBC Records and Tapes were really, really behind it. And they released the theme as a single, which was a minor hit. And then there were records featured in the show, like Every Loser Wins or something out of nothing. And Anita Dobson did Anyone Can Fall In Love, the yes. vocal version, yeah. which is where this all starts. And obviously, you know, EastEnders became a success kind of partly on the back of those hits, I think, was it got it a lot more public attention. And then Simon May kept doing variations of it during the late 80s, culminating in... Now, this was something I thought I'd imagine until it turned up online. Glory be to God on high, the EastEnders hymn. Yeah! Which was released as a single with religious lyrics set to it. (laughs) 
But then, from there, he does this. And there was a vocal version of this as well, which I didn't know until the other day. I'll Always Believe in You by Sharon Benson. It was one of those people where you never quite figured out what she actually did. It always seemed to be a featuring singer Sharon Benson. You're like, well, where's she from? What does she do? But she did this vocal version, which I was amazed about that actually had a video. Yes, yeah, I was watching. It felt like the video and the whole atmosphere of it felt like it was a Eurovision song entry for that year. (laughs) Like, it's that kind of, like, this is what we want, and that's... I don't know, and it's kind of... Because people so dislike the jazzy version, I don't know why they thought, oh, well, if we add lyrics to it, maybe people will soften. And it's by a woman, like, she had no connection to EastEnders. So I think one of the reasons that Anita Dobson one does so well is, you know, she had been in EastEnders. She'd been this quite iconic character. And Sharon Benson is, from what I can see, just some session singer who agreed to do it. Like, why is she there? Why are her? And they had lots of, like, in 1993 EastEnders, you still had lots of people who could sing. Like, I'm pretty sure Michelle Gale was still around at that point it's weird because i said i had completely forgotten about it up until drama started showing these episodes but that's probably one of my earliest memories of being just baffled why have they done this and why does it sound like that because you're right it's not quite jazz it just sort of sounds like it's trying to be a bit funkier and it's not really anything it just sounds a bit strange because you've got that key stender's theme lying underneath and at that point you know, even now, EastEnders theme, whether you watch it or not, it's probably one of the most recognised in this country. I find it fascinating. But yeah, I don't understand the need for the lyrics. That's the bit as well. Even with Anyone Can Fall In Love, like, it just felt like it's not, the EastEnders theme is not that good a tune that it needs to be released in some sort of lyrical form. And yeah, I'm even more, I'm just reading about the glory be to God on high, which was performed on Songs of Praise. And that's on YouTube as well. But again, what religious people were asking for this? I don't really know much about Simon May's personal life and maybe he felt this was going to be the new modern hymn because I don't think people really write hymns anymore but imagine singing that in church like I used to work for the Church of England exactly yeah but I used to work for the Church of England and maybe I would have actually been able to sing them properly if they'd had EastEnders as the backing theme well like you I just can't understand why they felt the need to go down that route because I always thought the whole point of the EastEnders theme was you know whereas the Coronation Street one is quite kind relaxing in a way and laid back other soaps have more dramatic themes you know like Dallas you know was really kind of high ambition lots of money lots of gloss and so on EastEnders felt like it was gritty and also what people never really mention is that you know you've got the kind of cockney barroom piano playing the lead melody you've also got behind that sitar steel drums on it's it was like they were reflecting everything in the yeah. arrangement but in this they were reflecting absolutely nothing at all no because one of EastEnders problems and I think even more so now it's set in East London which if you go to East London now is a very diverse multicultural part of I mean all of London is is diverse EastEnders has not never been good at diversity it will throw in a token brown and black family occasionally and that's the extent you will not see it's still quite white the bulk of their popular characters I would say are, are white I wonder if the theme was trying to that was the diversity you know let's have something more jazzy let's have this black singer Sharon Benson sing the theme and suggest that we actually do reflect London really well and they don't and the theme doesn't either and it kind of it reminded me as well of EastEnders will have when it what used to be anyway when it would have special episodes it would have something called Julia's theme which is a the slower sadder one increasingly I was just looking at a list of when it's used and in the early days it's used quite sparingly like at best every few months or so and there's a point 
kind of in the sort of mid 2000s where it feels like it's just being used every single episode and you just think it loses its power and you had one episode where i'm trying to remember it was the slater's dad charlie slater leaves and yeah after saying emotional guy he leaves by train so that's in like 2011 and i'm pretty sure he's back about two or three months later <laughs> did they play it after... backwards and, they, yeah. <laughs> and you just think hang on julius should be kind of like a final that should be like thanks for all your years on this show i uh, in my opinion it should only be used when someone's leaving and they've been there a long time and they've been really popular do you know what used to really annoy me or well just bemuse me really about when they brought in the diverse families on these vendors it seemed to be the law that they had to have an eccentric grandfather who would have comedy scenes with doc cotton yeah where they could cotton the old scheme people, or something so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they have to show like because what would usually happen is someone like Dot in real life would probably be a bit racist. So you'd have to show her interacting with this diverse to show she's a good character. She gets on with everyone. But you reminded me of the, I can't remember what year they were around. But it was, they were a family called the Ferreras. And they were, they, well, this was the issue. They didn't really know where they were from. So one aspect, they had these kind of Goan names and the dad was Catholic, I think. And Ferreira was like a Portuguese surname. But there was also these kind of Muslim elements as well and it just felt like they'd just thrown whatever they knew about all generic Asian cultures so whether that was from the Asian continent or those the dysphoria and just gone this will do and it led to one of what is my favourite anecdotes from EastEnders which is the man who played the dad who apologies I can't remember but he was Mr Ferreira for the purpose of this anecdote he was from somewhere and he basically what happens is they came on set and he basically gets deported he gets dragged off set mid-scene and gets chucked out of the country and they have no they don't know how to prepare for this and what they claim is that the reason the pharaohs were so unpopular is that this happened all the storylines they had kind of went to hell and they just had to carry on but then next breath apparently they were going to kill him off anyway so it's like well why didn't you just not show us him dying and then have that really what was going to be a really interesting storyline which is he's such a horrible man they kill him they sort of hide him under the patio and then they carry on but what instead happens is this family are just sort of floating around EastEnders with no connections to anyone else because it's one of the reasons it's so difficult I think to bring in these sort of diverse families is who are they connected to so you can bring in like another Mitchell for example because the Mitchell's already there but you can't it's very hard to just have someone move in and make that established family it very rarely works the only ones that are kind of still there it's Rupert Walker as Patrick Truman who's been in it forever and he and his sort of family or adopted family kind of cling on because they one they've been there so long and two what do you do if you get rid of that one black family who's going to be next like who's going to come in i don't know why senders in particular even i think coronation street is much better or it's got much better and that's set in you know manchester which again is this other diverse city but yeah eastenders has never been good at diversity and it always tries to make eastenders more interesting in ways that it doesn't need to be made more interesting for example having a new theme tune or shoving on a sad theme tune at the end of an episode as i say i say that's someone who on the whole quite likes eastenders but it's not it doesn't do considering it's been running for so long it's never sure if it just wants to stick with the format it has or if it purely wants to kind of shake it up a bit yeah i I said i find it a very interesting program to see what it tries to do because it just sometimes it really when it messes up it messes up really badly but what it has the power to do is somehow make the audience forget that well it was a common thing around that time for shows to experiment with a new arrangement of a well-loved theme tune 
and regret it. And then they get completely forgotten about. I mean, the ones that I really remember were between the old Grange Hill theme and the new Grange Hill theme, there was one series where they tried the funked up version of the original theme, which is dreadful. And that's been completely erased from history. There was Spitting Image did a weird kind of free jazz version of the theme, which lasted, I think it was for one year, but it's basically just like screeching noises. The fanfare at the beginning is really fast and it goes like... <laughs> it's in- indescribable. The other one is the Dominic Glynn version of the Doctor Who theme, which was on for one year and then taken off, which I quite liked. But again, that's kind of airbrushed out of history. And it's interesting. They all, lots of people were thinking around that time, oh, we need to jazz up the theme tune a bit yeah. and then pulling back from it. I just love to know what was going on kind of in 93, because I don't even think, were we possibly at El Dorado time for EastEnders? We were, and there was but, a vocal version yeah. from that as well. I kind of think, yeah, was it just kind of, how do we get, we don't actually want to change what we're doing. We're fine with that. Our storylines are a bit rubbish, but that's what people come and watch. So how can we make it more interesting? But it's interesting you're saying about all those examples that they only last about a year and then they go and it's like but a year's a long time for you to kind of put on this theme and then realize it's really bad nowadays the feedback would be quite instant to that sort of thing but you wonder at what point with eastenders with all those you know with um, spitting image where they suddenly go we should probably get rid of it and why they do why they wait a year is it like they think people will get used to it after a year and then people are still complaining so they have to kind of go oh no we'll change it back or we'll do something else well I've just got one last question to ask about it which is when Mr Ferreira went did they use Julia's theme or did they just think we used Cotton Eye Joe or something instead yeah he just I think it was just I can't even remember what excuse they did I feel like he was just in one episode and then the next one just his name disappeared off the credits I mean there's probably more examples of that but this is the story of him being dragged off by the um, immigration officers on set like didn't they check his papers <laughs> you knew this was coming but yeah I would I will look it up I will be back for a do you remember the Ferreras in my uh, next looks unfamiliar okay well sticking with annoying fake cockneys for your second choice because this gentleman is a familiar if unwelcome voice I couldn't find a clip of what you actually chose here but let's endure him and then we'll find out why he's here does him pipe it up really spend his whole life just behind him yeah you better watch out (laughs) the leader he really professional like a qvc presenter okay so yeah we've got that that's uh, working very well very useful right really slick and that but like that one is behind him you just think he's always been about there just backing him up like sort of a barry white singer sort of like them people in the back go yeah all right (laughs) okay come on but look at this like this is a compilation of his frankly unnecessary outburst yes indeed real bad my lord Yes. You better watch out. You better watch out. Yeah. Look, you're undermining this gang for me. Okay, that was Russell Brand on Ponderland on Channel 4 for when he was actually still quite good and bearable, making fun of the Santana Block gang. Shanine, King's a comedy. What was he doing there? He was the presenter, so my memories of it are this was around the time of big brother so i'm trying to think if celebrity big brother had happened by that point and jack d had won and all those kind of things kings of comedy was basically putting a group of old school comedians in a house with young well not even young it was kind of like newish comedians i want to say they weren't really that young like janie godley was there and she was not a young comedian by any stretch of the imagination she was just not around in the 70s so you had stan boardman in like the old school group but then on the other side you had people like 
Andrew Maxwell and Ava Vidal and all these names that I'm saying, I'm like, they're not really that big now, to be honest. (laughs) They didn't really have the big careers that you would expect. But it threw them all in a house and with the aim of being entitled the king or queen of comedy. And they had to perform for people and Boofy Graffo was in it as well. And I don't remember this, but I was talking about it with my partner and he remembers a episode where some old men were like bust in and all the comedians had to perform for them. And of course they liked the sort of 1970s comedians style comics and not the younger ones. And I'm not really sure what the point of it was because it wasn't sure if it was trying to... You had these comedians that were at such a kind of beginning of their career that this kind of show on E4 wasn't really going to rise it because it was them fighting with each other is what I remember. That's kind of my memory. So it's kind of having this big brother, but having people who actually had things to risk. If you did Big Brother and you went famous, you would have about six months of humiliation if you were a terrible character. But this could have stayed with people's careers. And I think the fact that I'm saying these names and a lot of them are around and still having careers, but they they didn't go on to the success that I think E4 expected them to. So Russell Brand, I believe, was like the host. I'm guessing before he went on to Big Brother's Little Brother, but he wasn't in the house. I think that would have been a more interesting show if you had someone like Russell Brand with that. <laughs> I mean, I think they didn't get on but I, it's when I talked about it, the only person who really remembered it is my partner. And even then, I couldn't remember the name of it. I just kept referring it to as like Big Brother Comedy House because nobody talks about it. And it didn't have a second season, if, if I recall correctly. But I don't know if your research has brought up more than mine. Well, you say my research, but it's interesting you'd say all that about not being able to remember it because it's basically, you'd think, given it was an E4 thing, it was made in the early 2000s when E4 in particular were really exploiting the internet for what passed for interactivity at that point it's just disappeared everywhere i couldn't find anything else about it on the sites of the people involved it's surprised yeah. times comedy guide there's nothing out there even to the extent of apparently the whole point of it was if you won it and andrew maxwell won you got to make a pilot for channel four i cannot find any trace of that pilot what it was called if it was transmitted and also he'd been on the 11 o'clock show by then just let him make yeah. a pilot Why put him through that exactly nothing nothing out there about it so i remembered it existing i didn't remember really anything about it and it's weird that something that recent has just disappeared that's it so i kind of the one of the things i was sort of when i was picking all my things that you kind of go what have you forgotten i would say because of the age i am most things are kind of on the internet in some form and you're right this kind of no one talks about it to the point i had completely forgotten about the russell brand element i remember them being in a house I don't remember him being like a Davina because there were so few of them as well. Like, I'm just looking at the list again. So you had the new comics, which were Janie Godley, Boothby Griffo, Andrew Maxwell and Ava Vidal. And then you had the old comics, which were Stan Boardman, David Copperfield, not that one, and Mick Miller. And then you've got Scott Capuro, who is probably about the same age as Janie Godley and Boothby Griffo. Like, he wasn't like a 70s, 80s comedian. Like, why has he been lumped in with Stan Boardman? Maybe they couldn't get anyone else that is it because weirdly some of them around that time did appear to have some dignity left Mm. because there were some that you know conspicuously never appeared on reality shows whatever where you know like poor old frank carson on i'm a celebrity i don't think he knew what he's letting himself in for cannon and ball came a bit of a cropper on that as well they were being bussed in just to say something not even that offensive or out of touch just be slightly evidently a relic from an earlier age and everyone would turn on them and that allowed the series stars to shine 
despite some of them on some shows naming their names being reprehensible people that still got celebrated. I think there were one or two of those old school comics that were thinking, I don't want to go near that. But you're kind of thinking as well, it's an age thing. Like the younger comics, like, of course, you'd have no problem sort of living in this Big Brother house. And they were probably familiar with Big Brother and thought this is going to do wonders for my career. The older ones, you're kind of saying to them, live in this like dormitory style thing. Yes, you're in your what? They probably must have been in their 50s, 60s at least at this point, if not older. And yeah, I'm just I'm just reading this, the one source, the Guardian article about it. Scott Capuro was voted off the show after producers were forced to take a studio vote when the phone lines broke down. It just seems like it was a really amateur operation. And I think that's what I kind of, my memories of it. So in 2004, I would have been about 17. First few series of Big Brother, like great television, would have loved it. And I would have been in, on board with this. But I just remember, like you, I remember it existing and it just not quite working because you've obviously got them all living in a house. But I'm not sure how the stand-up side worked. Like, was that in the house as well? Did they bust them out to clubs? Did people get bust into them? It was really odd. You could have a show like this where you kind of go old school versus new school comedians doing stand-up, but you don't have to put them in a house. That was purely to just have them fight with each other. There's no kind of lead-in for that. What? How was that helping? It doesn't sound to me like they found any friendships, really. So I'm just reading that the comedians were upset by the way things out and we're talking to them now and hopefully they will come back on Sunday. So they weren't even living there full time. <laughs> So what was the point? Like, really, what you need is that kind of big brother, like, you don't see anyone else. You don't have any other contact. I mean, at that point, I don't think you could ha- really have anything like that now. But it's about them slowly going mad and kind of getting paranoid and doing all those things. And to be honest, I imagine most stand-ups are like that anyway. They don't need to be thrown in their house together to be convinced that someone's sort of judging their work and they don't think they're as good as them and all these kind of things. So ultimately, I agree with you. I don't understand how something with one Russell Brand and two from only 2004 which yeah it's 16 years ago but in internet times that's you know we can find things much older with much more stuff and i think a lot of people just want to forget it happened to be honest and i don't blame them one thing looking at the list of the inverted commas older comics is i can't see they were obviously hoping for some kind of culture clash but these weren't i mean there'd be a couple of occasions where stan boardman's got in trouble but the main thing he got in trouble for was saying Fokker quite a lot on Desocon tonight. <laughs> so even by those standards, he wasn't particularly bad. David Copperfield was kind of, sort of aligned to, you wouldn't call them alternative comedian, but he was on three of a kind. He was in that kind of mindset. Mick Miller was from that old guard, but he was never offensive. And a couple of years later, yeah. he played Johnny Vegas' dad on Ideal and was brilliant on it. Scott Caporo, I don't know what was going on there, so they weren't even really getting a clash of stuff. Styles, really. No. It would have just been hoping maybe that they wouldn't get on attitude-wise. And probably, I would imagine, I mean, there's none of this out there to see, but I can't see J.D. Godley being especially unfriendly. No, you know? no. And you, you know what I mean? Like, if you would have got, I, just had to, I couldn't remember his name, if you had got someone like Bernard Manning on, that would have been... I mean, it would have been horrific telly, but it would have been... <laughs> well, because he would have been murdered he would have, yeah. so. But actually... When you look at, sorry to, to poor Bernard Manning's family, but if you compare him to someone like Katie Hopkins, who had sort of a brief, when she did Celebrity Big Brother, I can't remember if she won, but she came very close. It was like Harry and Katie Price were the final two. And these were two women that had been sort of seen as the devils at various points in their careers. And they both did really well, because actually when they kind of had to put their head down and got on with it, they could be very charming and they got on with people and the audience liked that. That could have been a real sort of turning point for someone like Manning or that kind of comedian who had this reputation 
And actually, if you put them in a house with these sort of people, if he'd shown himself to be a really nice bloke, that would have been great for him. But you don't, you're right, there's no one there who needs to redeem themselves. There's no, what, why are you there? Apart from they're probably paying you and you were promised a pilot. But why would someone like David Copperfield or Stan Boardman want to be doing an E4 pilot at their age? Like, what would you have done with them? Like, at least the younger one, you could have got something out of it. David Copperfield could have done this Cliff Richard yeah, again. Like, <laughs> one of a kind. It's Cliff in the public eye again by that point. I don't right. know. Like, I wouldn't have watched it. I don't know. And it's, yeah, I find it really odd because it stays in my head because what I remember from it as well, and I don't think I could say this for various library reasons, but there was a digital spy forum. And what I remember is there were people who were watching kind of, I think there was like a similar Big Brother type live feed or there was someone who worked on the show and there was lots of arguments and things going on, but they were so extreme they couldn't show them. So that kind of lost the point. What you want to see is that kind of level of people fighting each other or people getting very drunk and doing all those things and obviously because these people had agents i suspect all their agents were saying you're absolutely not showing that you will ruin this person's career so i think there was a lot going on and i think if you'd actually seen it as it was meant to be seen or how i imagine it was imagined so they were thinking yeah it's gonna be like big brother we'll have these old school versus new school they'll fight each other or they'll really get on and they'll find common ground And i don't think any of that really happened it just sounded like they had the big brother idea and they had the stand-up comedy idea and they didn't have anything else in between. I think maybe one of the reasons to be forgotten is that, like you say, live streaming 24 hours was a novelty then. People forget they used to show Big Brother Live on Channel 4 in the middle of the day when sometimes they'd be asleep for half an hour. <laughs> And it's still broadcast. But now everyone's got their own live stream. And generally, generally, they don't use it for, you know, hate-filled things or whatever. They do things like they go out clearing stones from a field, <laughs> naming no Richard Herrings <laughs> there. But yeah, that's it. Now, you know, that sort of show has no relevancy, no currency now, really. No, I can't imagine. It's weird, but I think because of the age I was, obviously, I was sort of, I should have been, you know, concentrating on my GCSEs and A-levels and my schoolwork. But actually, I remember watching a lot of, like, the late night feeds at, like, three o'clock in the morning and you're right they'd be sleeping or it'd be blocked out because they would be saying stuff that they could legally say or they couldn't legally broadcast i don't think there's that interest now and i think partly one you've got so much access to television and film now like you don't need to resort to watching that so even at that time i mean as i said in this time there was still sky and there were still other things like that but now you have things like netflix like you don't need to watch people sleeping at three o'clock in the morning when you've got netflix and you've got <laughs> disney plus and you've got all those sorts of things so i can see a world where they like something like big brother could potentially come back you know going back to the lockdown i think a lot of us feel like we're in a big brother house right now like we can't really do anything we haven't even got any chickens to feed or anything but that experimental phase of it has kind of gone and yeah i'm not surprised i mean i said i'm not surprised kings of comedy didn't come back i'm i'm very surprised that people even the people involved don't talk about it because i suspect there are some interesting stories there we just as you know audience members never saw it well when this goes out let's alert Janie on twitter but we're going back to more innocent time and slightly more funny comedy i'm assuming for your next choice which i've actually been able to find a clip of this amazingly so here we go and see if you can recognize who this was i want to tell you what's really troubling me though right in the news and in the papers there's been a lot of shootings going on we know about it so i must even know i ain't gonna say nothing right but the thing is the papers have been trying to make out who did it and the papers are saying it's the yardies that are shooting people. Yardy this, no, you know what? Yardy this, yardy that, yardy people. It's not yardies, it's just black people with guns. All right? <laughs> Can't we just commit a crime and be British? <laughs> yeah. OK, 
Okay, that was Richard Blackwood on Channel 5's Club Class in 1997. Shanine, what's going on here? How I remember Club Class, I haven't watched it in a very long time. It was Richard Blackwood as kind of an MC, and it was very, like a black-focused comedy, really. Similar to Real McCoy, but I don't think it was as popular as Real McCoy, partly because, if I got right, it was on Channel 5. So, yes. yeah, my background is I'm mixed race, and I grew up with a black mother. So we're that classic thing of, you know, that's story Whoopi Goldberg tells about Star Trek when she sees Yahura and she says oh look mum there's a black woman on television and she's not a maid it's that kind of thing we would get very excited if there were black people on television and they weren't you know slaves or something like that so um, I think my mum and my nan were big fans of it and what I mainly remember from it is this sketch and I don't know who did it but it was a sketch of this like older black woman and she would talk about her one good egg which was her referring to her only daughter and it was that kind of it was seemed to me very much aimed at kind of Afro-Caribbean people more than anything but I'm just looking at now I didn't realize it was only one series like to me if you'd asked me I'd have said it at least went on for like three four years like it felt like there were loads of episodes but it was like early days of Channel 5 and I think quite rightly early days of Channel 5 get a lot of stick but I think if you look back it was kind of quite similar to early days of Channel 4 like they were willing to experiment they were willing to try new things and then just sort of got associated with pornos really that's my memories of early channel 5 if you'd asked me what did early channel 5 did i probably would have forgotten about club class and i would have said yeah they were showing like awful shannon tweed films late at night guess it right erotic thriller starring shannon tweed that's why it always sounds it's always her (laughs) that's all she did so that's it so basically club class is only for one series which i'm very shocked by but clearly it did well enough because he then in 1999 gets the Richard Blackwood show on Channel 4 and Club Class to me that early period of Richard Blackwood he was a great comic I know it was the, there was a standard oh he's the new Eddie Murphy and I think actually he was a lot better than that but he kind of got lost along the way and going back to our, our earlier conversation he ended up in EastEnders for a few years where he was get very good but he kind of his reputation as just he was there and I think because there were so few like young good looking black comedians he kind of got thrown on everything and I think people just got a bit sick of him actually it was around the same time as a show called Blouse and Skirt, which I don't have as fond memories of. So basically what happens is Real McCoy is on apparently, I didn't realise this, for five years Real McCoy then is replaced by Blouse and Skirt and then on Channel 5 clearly going, there's a market for these kind of black comedies. They throw on Club Class, but my memories of it it was on very late and it was very niche because Channel 5 was so new at the time that it just, I don't think it, it was throwing out all these new programming but it didn't really give a attention to everything i think it was focusing what was that um the tim vine game show oh, that's what i remember early with, yeah that's that's pretty much <laughs> if you ask me what channel five was showing shannon tweed films spittle that was it well they did really try to corner the market in comedy in the early days because there was new comedy on every night i mean the big one that i think people maybe should revisit at some point which has been covered in the past edition of this is we know where you live the sketch show with simon Pegg and a number of other people who went on to do quite notable things but i always felt the problem was and i felt this even at the time they didn't quite hit the right talent to you know populate these shows with that a lot of them just floundered they were just there but this was an unusual one because richard blackwood it was very early on in i don't know if it was early Early on in his career as like a working comic, but it was early on 
Ireland's television days, and he seemed to do really well at it. I mean, we'll come back to the other two regulars were in a minute, but he's somebody I feel really sorry for, because I think the damage was done to his career by... Now, don't start me on this, because I'll rant for about three hours, but the Brass Eye special. There were some people that... You know, in the original yeah. Brass Eye, a lot of the people that were caught out by the stunts, you kind of felt you've had that coming for a long time, whether it was Noel Edmonds or, well, later turned out he more than deserved it, Rolf Harris, <laughs> or, you know, all the politicians, yeah. like Graham Bright, who I never liked. You know, that you felt they all deserved it. The Brass Eye special, there were a lot of people like... The two I felt the most sorry for were Kate Thornton and Richard Blackwood, who, as far as I could see, had done nothing wrong. But they got so much abuse on, particularly on Chris Morris forums after that went out, you know, like, ah, those fucking idiots fell for it. Like, yeah, but what? They thought, you know, and if somebody turns up and say, can you endorse an anti-child abuse campaign? You can't say no, really. Exactly, because, like, what are you hiding? So, of course, you have to say yes. And they probably all, sort of, those groups, people probably had the same agent, I reckon, who just went, this is easy work. Go off and do that. But, yeah, Richard Blackwood, I think, I'm not sure if this was a crossover, but he'd certainly done MTV and he was doing it with June Sarpong and it was like a request show he'd either come from that or he was doing that kind of around that time but he was very good at live television that was kind of his strength and it's a real yeah I think it's a real shame he hasn't sort of stayed on his presenter and I think you're right those sorts of things if he was seen sort of being an idiot you've already got dare I say it the kind of racism of the television industry at that time like he did incredibly well to break through with something like Club Class with his sort of age and, and level of um you know expertise. But he was you said he was very good. But the, the problem was, yeah, you have this thing where he was just I think at some point I remember thinking, God, he's everywhere. And I'm just reading a quote now that Richard Blackwood at that time, even not at that time, but in general, he's one of the few black Britons other than Lenny Henry and footballer Ian Wright to have his own entertainment show. I okay, so Lenny Ian Henry Wright had an entertainment show, but that's part of the time. <laughs> well, that was going to be actually one of my looks unfamiliar. It links quite nicely because I was going to say there's a duet that Ian Wright and Patsy Palmer do together of as, which was what George Michael and Mary J. Blige were had released <laughs> at the time. And I cannot find it for the life of me to the point where I was like I don't even know what show this was on so I'm wondering if it was on his show and that's why I remember it and again it goes back to this thing of there was a black person on television so I felt obliged to watch whatever they were doing because there were not many black faces at the time but it's extraordinary that you've got someone like you just had to have it's this implication of Lenny Henry and Ian Wright implies that you had to be just a somewhat charming black guy and you got your own entertainment show and there's obviously a lot more to it. I think Richard Blackwood should have been a real talent but I think they made the mistake as his agent said let's just get you on everything and the moment you're on everything people are just put off by that. Well do you remember who the other two resident comics were on Club Class? I'm remembering like a woman who I think is it was it a woman who had been on I can't remember her name she was very good as well so I remember her. Yvette Rochester the Duncan that would have been who acted in a lot of things in the late 90s and then seemed to just disappear but the other one was Joe Martin now TV's Doctor Who yes that's the one I'm remembering who was very good yeah Joe Martin was great in that and again yeah I mean I'm glad she's getting some recognition now but it's only taken what 23 years for some people to realise but I think again like the fact I'd completely mainly forgotten the women so I think remember Richard Blackwood was pretty much the MC and then you had these two women who were involved I think in the sketches 
sketches and then they would do stand-up? Was Joe Martin doing stand-up or was she just doing sketches? I think they did a bit of both from what I remember. Because again, there's very little of this out there. Yeah, so that's what I think. Again, you didn't... I mean, Real McCoy was great for that. Real, I know Real McCoy is more fondly remembered and there's more things about. There was this kind of... It said you had this talented... It said and it was unashamedly like this is a show sort of by black people. And channel, for Channel 5 to be doing it, for anyone to be doing that, at that time still felt quite groundbreaking because you feel like real McCoy and blouse and skirt kind of gone right this is our territory no one else can touch it it's, yeah it's odd how it's again to me you kind of think this is an example of particularly as i said in these times now where people are trying to find more black representation that they're not going back and finding that and going well wasn't it great that we had that in like 97 it just doesn't seem to have said disappeared and i don't know if it's the nature of who television archivists are like these <laughs> you know if you don't mind me saying tend to be white men yeah oh absolutely yeah and they tend to have a a certain view of the world as well (laughs) should we say (laughs) so you know they may have had that on their tapes but they obviously didn't keep it and they're not uploading it on the sites that you know i may or may not be on you just don't see these kind of things it's yeah i I find it a real shame i know there were rumors that real mccoy had been wiped because they were trying to justify what never had a general release and i think one of the people in it one of the writers said oh well it's all been right just think yeah i think once you got to a certain point i would be very surprised if anything say beyond like 85 was wiped because the wipings tend to be in the 60s and 70s with that whole or we had limited tapes or we didn't think they were worth keeping once you got to that stage where repeats were happening more and more then people were surely going to go well we might as well keep this because we might repeat it in the future so you wouldn't wipe stuff it's maybe lost that wouldn't surprise me if it's just in a box somewhere and no one's (laughs) looked at it for 20 years but so I, i feel like somewhere hopefully someone has this sort of collection these 13 episodes of club class because i think it would hold up really well i don't think it was of its time but you just don't have that kind of level of black representation and it's debatable even now you have that much going on in some ways i feel like television's gone a bit backwards with that kind of thing and that's why people refer to things like the real mccoy with such fondness because there isn't anything like that and there isn't anything that's really surpassed that but yeah I, i'd love to know where it is i hope it's, it's a vault somewhere and someone is looking after it but it's a real shame i think it's been forgotten well just before we move on to your next choice there's a very weird parallel with this which is you know this was on channel five in its early days now the early days of bbc radio five when it was actually called that before it was called five live it was more a speech station they similarly went all out with trying the corner of the comedy market and they had a show called club class oh which was i think it was recorded live in a pub but it was all kinds of people who went on to be really huge like eddie Izzard did one of them i think that was the first time i'd ever heard him simon munnery victoria corran or as she was billed them vicky corran all <laughs> kinds of people but i'll be on the I'll level with you here i can only really remember felix dexter showing up on it it was quite white i think that was it that's what he was you turned to wasn't it when you needed a black <laughs> guy where's felix dexter i think that's why he's when he, he died you know ridiculously young there was a lot of like sadness on on twitter and things because for many people of color like he was the black comedian you just think god that was so much responsibility for one man to take on to be that person you called up when you needed a bit of diversity in your show it was like just get felix on the line he'll do it and people like him and for all we know at the moment he could have been on both club classes but things were about to take a very sinister turn i'm just gonna play this clip and then we'll find out why it's here afterwards. Samo! You're what? 
Okay, hopefully that comes across in sound only. That's Roland discovering Zabo zonked out on heroin at the end of an episode of Grange Hill. That was an image that stayed with you. Shanine, why is this here? Because I was reminded of an anti-drugs campaign from 2000. And it was a young woman called Rachel Whittier. And I won't describe, but it was one of those, this is why you shouldn't take drugs because you'll end up like this. And it sort of got me thinking that you don't actually see, like, where are the anti-drugs campaigns now? You now just have the kind of let's, who is it? Is it let's talk to Frank or what's, what's his name? Where you kind of, <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, let's let people find out what drugs are like and how they affect you rather than don't take drugs because they'll kill you and that seemed to take a turning point so I was still at school in 2000 I would have been about 12 13 so I think that's why the memory of that particular one sticks with me but you've also got things like Leah Betts as well like you don't get these like I don't know why and I don't know if it's a taste thing because to me there's so much worse you can find on the internet nowadays that I don't kind of get why you don't have more explicit anti-drugs campaigns which are don't take these drugs because they'll kill you or they'll do this to you and you don't have that it's very softly softly now and it feels a bit weird to me because i am still 20 years on terrified by that campaign and i think there's a whole generation i'm a bit young for it but you said of the grange hill one where you had the image of him slumped near dead did he actually die of the heroin i don't know no no he did he got clean he got the clean. End of oh, good. don't worry Zaro, yeah so he just, don't have just, nightmares everyone yeah he just sort of slumped against the thing and that i imagine if you are about 13 14 again is quite terrifying because that's the age you want to be getting people really you don't want to be getting them at like 10 11 because 10 11 year olds are still playing with dolls and stuff they're not really interested in drugs those kind of later school years that's when people might be at a time to experiment and that's when you want to i don't know what you want to do now it seems to me like the approach is oh let's just let them take the drugs and see what happens there is no longer an air of actually let's terrify them and remind them that it could kill them and there's no going back from that so yeah i kind of i don't know maybe i'm nostalgic for these terrifying things where, where they used real people as well because i think with zamo like at least it was an actor and you can kind of distance yourself from that but the leah betts campaign like i can't imagine a family i can't even imagine i think maybe it's the role of media now i don't know if the press would approach a family and say oh for some reason you took a picture of your child dying from an overdose can we use it in the newspaper because who's buying newspapers anymore what children are going to see it whereas in 2000 it probably the rachel witter image was probably everywhere and i mentioned it on twitter because i got to a point where i was like i couldn't find the picture based on my description and i went on twitter and i said look does anyone remember this because i was convinced i'd just dreamt it because it was such a horrific image i was like surely there's no way that they would have published that and they did and the amount of people that came back saying yeah it was horrific it really scarred them and the people who were younger than me who had seen it at about kind of six or seven saying it's still stuck with them i want to know why i kind of i find it interesting yeah that we don't have these as i said it's more these very said flowery you will take drugs and this is what will happen approach as opposed to you shouldn't take drugs and this is why and i don't know if does that work better i don't really hang out with any young people nowadays to know if that is actually if that's stopping them taking drugs because i imagine it's not to be honest young people are going to experiment with everything a sort of softly softly approach isn't going to make that more off-putting 
vomiting than someone who is either dead or close to death, which is what a lot of the campaigns had. But I don't know. I mean, those are the ones I remember. So Leah Betts and Rachel Witter, and they were again within about a five year period. I don't know if those were the only ones or if they were kind of like, was it more common in like the 80s and 90s to have these horrible images? I was going to say absolutely not, because I think it's kind of evolved the way they tried to get the message across over the years. Because what I really remember being a couple of years older when I was at school, the posters that they used to put up in, you know, because we didn't even really have, it was very rare that you'd be showing the video in school about something. Because, you know, you think of the costs in those days, you know, making something, <laughs> distributing it and so on. But there were posters around where it seemed to be, I mean, because obviously by the incidents you're referring to, they've moved on to kind of being hard hitting, but trying to tell the tragic story of yeah. the addict as well. Whereas the ones I remember were kind of, there were posed things with people were kind of like, Mark Armand, I shadow, that for some reason they would put that on the junkies. But it was like almost laughing at the addicts because there were things like there was one I distinctly remember that said skincare by heroin. And it had, yeah, it was always women in the pictures as well. But it was like a woman with, you know, really bad skin and manky hair. The other one was it had a like quite swanky 80s girl with big hair sitting in a cafe, like, you know, holding up a cup of coffee that said, where the junkie chats you up and what's he really after? And uh, basically, <laughs> it like, had arrows pointing at you, know, like a watch and a chain and so on with ticks next to them. At one point to get a chest with a kind of like no entry sign. <laughs> so they weren't yeah. bothered in anything sexual, they just wanted to steal off you. But it was that's what it seemed to me. I remember other things like we showed a comic strip about well, because they didn't even call it solvent abuse then about it was referred to as glue sniffing. Yes. And I remember yeah. thinking this doesn't work because it doesn't read like a real comic and they're not characters you know. People would just look at it thinking, this is a bit weird. But the other thing I really remember was when, I mean, I wasn't old enough to be going out to clubs. When they first started sneaking into them in the early 90s, the police in Liverpool started giving out this leaflet called Chill Out, which is on kind Ooh, of trippy yeah. fractal graphics. And it was kind of basically saying, look, we know you're going to try ecstasy, but here's the upside. But please, please, please try and do these things to be a bit safer. You know, it's saying, you know, don't buy from whatever, you know, make sure you drink water and so on. And the reaction against that was so huge that they withdrew it and apologised. But that's basically the talk to Frank thing. That is what they're doing now, yeah. And I I think you're right how it's evolved from, oh, you might end up with a bit of bad skin to death. It was quite extreme. But equally, I think this idea of like, oh, well, this is how, what you should feel after you take the drugs. I think you, you're right. You have to acknowledge that people are going to do it and the police that campaign of do it safely. But I don't know if it is working. I'd be interested to see kind of like a graph of kind of addicts over time, whether that has lessened and whether this sort of thing encourages kind of a brief. OK, people are going to experiment and then they'll stop and then they will live these kind of substance free lives. But I remember even as a child being quite intrigued by like solvents and then going like don't sniff this and all these kind of things because the moment you're told not to do something you know it's a bit naughty and you're kind of like well why can't I sniff that that sounds great because clearly does something really interesting if you're telling me not to do it so I can see why the Frank approach is to let's make drugs as boring as possible and maybe people won't take them but that isn't going to work it's just yeah as I said I I find it but I, I don't think I miss a time where there were these images of as you said it was usually women and women at 
the most vulnerable. It's very rare you saw a young man who'd been affected by drugs. And I don't know if that was a case of, oh, well, men are meant to experiment and they will come out of it the other side or they won't come out the other side. And that's not as interesting to the comparison of these kind of what they would do is these side by side comparisons. So these kind of usually school photos of these people. So it'd be them like at their most. And you still see it now when you're trying to get sympathy for a victim, however old they are for some reason they will go back to the school picture and that's what you'd have with these women so you'd have them kind of at their most yeah innocent looking and then cut to them either dead or dying and yeah they were horrible and the fact that you said 20 years on some of those plus those images have still stuck with me i don't know if i can't say for certain they stopped me taking drugs but i can say i would go no i don't want to end up looking like that i don't want to end up on those posters i think that was the fear it wasn't the drugs and the outcome it was being shamed up in death being reminded that you did it wrong and you felt the absolute consequence of it so yeah i kind of in some ways i kind of wish they would bring them back but i don't know if they'd have the impact i don't think children are as scared anymore by these sorts of things they've seen a lot worse well i think one of the issues that they never really worked out how to tackle was you know prevention campaigns are always based around horrific images and you know accounts of people living miserable lives and so on but there are always people in the public eye who appear to be very glamorous who would then get caught with a large quantity of drugs for personal use and you think that doesn't quite add up yeah. I'm naming no names I mean the two things that really surprised me recently are revisiting I'm just going to leave it here some things from the 90s I'm realising I'm not even going to say whether it's watching or listening to things but noticing that some people were clearly heroin users and the other one I feel I can say this a bit more freely 80s Top of the Pops on BBC4 the 80s in particular there's so many acts that when they walked out you just thought cokehead the second they yeah. start performing <laughs> but you know how do you account for that when you're doing that kind of campaign i just don't there's no way to counter that is there and i think for better or for worse noel gallagher changed all of that forever noel gallagher just saying it's an everyday thing everyone does and yeah there's risks but we take risks every day that flew in the face of all the awareness campaigns yeah and i think that was kind of most people's experience with drugs actually which is actually you, you were not going to have the extreme case of you're going to become addicted or you're you're going to die from it actually most for most people it was recreational and that's kind of where there's that fine line and i think the, the leah betts campaign probably came the closest into a realistic approach at scaring people because it was someone who was taking ecstasy for the first time and she completely misread the message basically it was about you know staying hydrated but actually you only needed to do that if you're dancing all the time and she had drunk so much water that it wasn't the drug it was the amount of water she drank that caused the issue that's why i'm wondering if these campaigns are trying to be a bit more clearer and say okay you will do it and this is what should happen and this is more of a guide because i think it is very easy to scare people and then messages just get lost and that's yeah i think the noel gallagher thing is very much yeah just like okay people will take it but make sure you're taking it properly and as the police did with those you know leaflets they handed out make sure you're buying from someone who you trust you know and not buying something dodgy that should be the message that's going out because 
you've made drugs illegal people are still taking them we're at a point where i think it's feasible in the next sort of five to ten years in this country where cannabis will probably be legalized as it has been in in other nations so yeah i i don't know what you can do and i don't think the frank campaign particularly works that well i think if anything it's just seems a bit cheesy really to kind of go this is what a drug is and this is what a drug does you know most people know that they found out from their friends what it does and that's why they want to try it and i think before we move on to your next choice we should just absolutely vouch for each other on this and say in unison kids, kids say, say no, say to, no drugs. to drugs <laughs> <laughs> that will stop them of hearing from us <laughs> Okay, well, it's another forgotten TV show for your next choice, which I'll be honest about this, I have no memory of this at all. So let's hear two of the contestants in action. So what I thought I'd do was I would go in as a smart, very overconfident, and uh, for no reason whatsoever, hate everything that they seem to like. I'm going into a shop that sells car parts in Epsom called C-A-R. My boss is called Martin. He's supposed to be a nice, easy-going bloke. <coughs> so I'm going to go in there like a bit of a lad who uh, swallowed an A to Z of sales jargon. I'm not bragging, but I can sell tap water to a fish. Obviously not in practice, because fish don't carry money, do they? Uh, like it's time for some new blood. Okay, that was apparently Matt Reed and Andrew Burt on BBC Three's Sack Race in 2003. Shane, they weren't doing a real sack race, were they? No, no. So it was basically it was around the time of Kings of Comedy, and I think that's why I linked them in my mind. So the episode I remember, I'm sure I watched all the series. The one I remember featured both Andrew Maxwell and Ava Vidal. Basically, it was two comedians who they started a job, and the race was to get sacked first. So they would do more and more outrageous things in this role to kind of get sacked basically on paper it sounds like a really great idea and it's kind of this hidden camera type show but it just didn't take off really I don't know if it was again it's the quality of comedians I think I was reading that someone like Laura Solon had done an episode Andrew Maxwell and and Ava Vidal are great comics and I remember particularly Ava Vidal in it being great like really funny I think it just died and i'm not really sure i think it was that idea of the whole like reality show secret camera they were they were kind of obsessed with putting comedians in reality situations rather than as you said just give a comic their own pilot like just spend that money giving them a show they were clearly these comics of that time who were really rated and they wanted to do great things with it apparently got pulled i do remember they showed the first episode and i'm wondering if that's what i saw the one with andrew maxwell and ava vidal and then the viewing figures were something like two million which to me doesn't sound that bad now i think people would kill for two million viewers and then they just pulled it and then re-showed them again so i can't remember i'm wondering if there was some sort of legal problem because that's really weird to kind of go here's the show we've put a lot of money into this and then we're just going to get rid of it. Well, that was my first thought. Did they get proper consent from the employers and everyone featured in it? Because I know we live in a very different world now where you, mm-hmm. you so much as breathe in the general direction of the BBC. You have to fill out a compliance form. And, you know, it's somebody we mentioned earlier that we've got to thank for that, really. <laughs> but at that point, I think people were still a bit more laissez-faire. And somebody could have been rubbed up the wrong way by this that was featured in it. They might have said, hang on, no, I don't agree to that at all. That's just my guess there. But I 
format like that is wide open to something like that happening. Yeah, and I, I wonder if that's the case, because what I remember with the Ava Vidal episode is that she was kind of, I think she was in a hairdresser's or something, and, like, they would have been a member of staff who was training her. So it wasn't just kind of like, oh, let's laugh at the bosses. You couldn't have had a show where you had that going on and you'd blocked out the other person's face. Like, it just wouldn't have worked. You needed that kind of reaction, because the whole point is then just pushing things further and further and further and seeing what the outcome is. And I'm be honest, I'm not someone who likes those kind of, like, prank shows and stuff. I don't think the idea was to laugh at the other employee who was baffled by it it was just sort of pushing the boundaries of kind of outrageous behavior and what you can what you can do but yeah i wonder if it's just said it on paper it kind of really worked but i think the reality is you know you've got this kind of idea of consent and actually at that point did people want those kind of shows there'd been so much reality tv going on where people just drained of something of seeing comedians who i think on the whole these people didn't know that was the other thing as well like if you because you had to have people were pretty much unknown to get away with it but actually what interest is there in seeing these people who you've never heard of do these things yeah and like you say we were awash with reality shows in every conceivable format around that and in fact your last choice is another reality show but we'll come back to that in due course but bbc3 did do a lot of them i'll admit it and the only thing i really watch on bbc3 now is basically a reality show called hot property where it's a dating show based on they make decisions based on seeing people's bedrooms yes i was trying to get my friend to go on that she was she was like <laughs> i was like how are you struggling to find you know the, the right man i was like well try this it's either that or guardian blind dates which i have done and it did not result in me finding my partner but i really like the idea of you can just sit around someone's room and go no this person's disgusting i don't want to go out with them i've just got to say about your guardian blind date what i always loved about that was reading the responses which most people even including the guy line they took as you know nice neutral statements i heard them in your voice and felt some of them were a little bit Damn of a burn maybe no bless him i hope as well but you're right there is like now i think it's interesting so netflix have got their reality show which is love is blind and netflix have thrown so much money into these films and these like drama series and actually what's done really well for them is a trashy reality show that you kind of expect you know on the big american networks so i don't think reality will go away but i think there's certainly there's been a slowdown and in around yeah i would say generously between 2000 and 2005 reality show probably one it was really cheap to make particularly if you've got these unknown comedians who weren't requiring that much money they just wanted the exposure and it was a format that was popular but i do think by the time this was on people just were kind of like and this is another thing with people that i've not heard of so i just think maybe as much as i at that point in my life was very interested in what comedians were doing i don't think the general public were and i don't think even if you did it now there would be this interest in what comedians are up to really because how often do people go out and see live comedy and know what's happening and what even happens now in terms of television you've got like live at the apollo is mock the week still on i don't really know like who knows but you know there isn't really those television shows that showcase those comedians anymore so i don't know how new comedians make it apart from you you know you get seen by the right person and maybe you make a pilot but at this point there seemed to be this real avoidance of 
actually seeing stand-ups doing what they were meant to be doing which is to be stand-ups or if they had acting backgrounds maybe do a pilot where there was some drama involved but there was none of that it was as much about throwing them into situations and hoping audiences took to it and i think on the whole they didn't well there was a weird thing around then and there was a big discrepancy between the amount of hours that suddenly needed to be filled on tv and radio as well because you know 24 hour radio was a relatively new thing but the availability of people to do it and anyone would just accept anything and they really sort of had to cast a net wide i mean i do a very different thing to stand-up comedians but i can say that when i first got involved with time shift on bbc4 it's because somebody had read me on a forum talking about the magic roundabout and thought this guy knows facts we need a researcher on the <laughs> yeah. show that's how that i can't imagine that happening now but around then it's quite a regular thing quite a lot of people i knew were talking heads on clip shows alongside actual famous people they won't mind me saying that you know that there was such a shortfall of people to go on these things that i'm not surprised that it wasn't the fault of the people taking part that you know they weren't well known no. it's just that there's nobody else to do it I think that was it you just kind of i feel like the comedy scene was probably in some ways a lot smaller than it is now so it's quite easy as i'm not someone who's done it but someone who's been an audience member to find like an open mic night and you see well i mean pre-lockdown it was quite easy to find open mic nights so there was a lot going on because there was lots of places to advertise so you would get audiences and you'd get people coming in and in the last i'd say i don't know maybe they've always been there but i'd say in the last 10 15 years the rise of these kind of stand-up courses so people go on the course they create a you know type five and then they go off to the open mic scene which in london in particular is, is huge so i do think yeah you've got the reason you've got this small numbers of comedians at that point in 2004 is you've got a much smaller scene you've got not as many people to impress and then they say to you okay you're very good comic but we haven't really got anything for you to showcase your work so do you want to do this reality show where you try and get sacked the quickest compared to another comedian and it's like of course you're going to say yes as a comedian because you think you've already had that door open for you surely something like that is going to open another door and I actually think for the majority of those comics that did those kind of things they didn't have the careers that they should have done just about BBC Three though I mean there is this idea now that it was just reality shows but back when they first launched there were so many programs that came out of there that I'm not sure would have come out of another channel that people forget started on BBC Three I mean the big one don't get me wrong you got bad stuff like who remembers ADBC a rock opera or Chris Moyle's comedy empire but equally there were things like I mean Little Britain's the obvious one but Russell Howard's Good News Gavin and Stacey Torchwood I think the Casanova with David Tennant was BBC Three without that he wouldn't have been Doctor Who so that's quite a significant thing people just do nothing the mighty boosh i think was mm, bbc3 wasn't yeah. it touch me on karen taylor all these shows that people wouldn't think now were on bbc3 and it was just for want of it catching on with the general public sack race might have joined them might yeah i think it's really interesting as well because bbc3 obviously you know moved to digital only but it still got this kind of reputation the fact that bbc will still commission things with the bbc3 brand even though they won't be on broadcast television or they will but they'll kind of appear on bbc1 under this bbc3 brand and it's it's really odd because you kind of think well this is such a key brand for you for new programming then maybe you should have kept it as a broadcast i know the reasons behind it and they had to kind of you know but it doesn't really seem like it is a cost-cutting measure you're still making programs and you're still that brand is still so key to them like the whole rupaul's drag race thing having to have that on under the bbc3 brand and also things like eurovision song contest now so what ends up happening is that the semi-finals which were 
perfect for BBC Three, and now on BBC Four, which is not really the right channel for it. <laughs> There's obviously an idea that they need to show it and they need to broadcast it traditionally, because actually what they could have said is actually, OK, we'll only show the semifinals online. And I don't know if that's something they would have done going forward. But, you know, I just think you've got this thing where you've got this complete loss of identity and BBC in particular, I think, really struggles. So it's it's commissioning these new programmes like I think this country is a BBC three thing, but it's never been on the channel. And this country's like a huge deal. You know, it's a it's a great show. And yet that's the only thing it could fit under. They haven't made BBC One, BBC Two and BBC Four really work for that new commissioning. And I, I don't know really how the BBC can keep going forward because I don't, for me anyway, I don't think that kind of watching stuff online necessarily replaces broadcast unless you've got that word of mouth. Well, even BBC Three wouldn't really be a suitable home for your last choice. Which <laughs> I didn't remember this. I could scarcely believe it existed, but amazingly, I found a clip of it. I'm just going to let everyone else make their own minds up. I always read my horoscope every day, so I thought it would be quite amusing to have a good tarot card reading for the guys, and it can be quite telling. I'm hoping that it will give me some insight into who these boys really are. Okay, that was Jerry Hall. You probably didn't realise it was her, but addressing some young men in 2005 <laughs> for a programme called Kept. Shanine, is this as bad as I fear? I haven't seen it in a very long time. I remember loving it. Background to Jerry Hall. Jerry Hall is obviously was with Mick Jagger for a very long time, had four children by him. He leaves. Well, he doesn't leave her. I think she leaves him because he impregnates this Brazilian woman. The premise is that Jerry Hall is now single and ready to mingle, but tables are turned. She doesn't want to be a kept woman. She wants to keep a man. So you've got all these like young, they're all American, various races. Some of them look like models like she was. Others are just normal guys and there was some controversy because when it aired in the UK so it was on you're right it was not on BBC it was on VH1 so it wasn't probably getting very huge audiences at all <laughs> but the posters for it were banned because it depicted Jerry Hall holding a leash surrounded by several young semi-dressed men and this violated London Underground's policy of adverts featuring people as sex subjects there was all sorts going on so basically the winner the one who would be, her, become her kept man won £100,000 and they got a car and a penthouse apartment. I think what I mainly remember is Jerry Hall being very charismatic on it. Like, she was great. She was clearly having a great time. It was about her having fun and sort of changing up the idea of what she was. I think people had seen her as a bit of a dolly bird who'd sort of dated all these men and she didn't really have... Not she didn't have a brain, but she just... She hadn't really been able to be herself, really, because she'd just been on the arm of Mick Jagger for the last sort of 20-odd years or whatever. So this kind of turns the tables where she's going no you know I want a man who I'm just going to see occasionally and I'll keep them and they'll be on my arm but what's really odd about it is she kind of there's like scenes where she has her friends do like a musical thing or something like do a song and one of them is like the partner of Pete Townsend and this okay. is after Pete Townsend had been basically like done for his research and he appears in one episode and it's so baffling because you're like why is he agreeing to this why are they letting him on it because you it all feels a bit uncomfortable eventually she kind of has a final three that she, i think she takes them all to paris for some reason so it's mainly set even though all the contestants are american men 
she takes them all to London and then eliminates them one by one. She sort of goes on dates with them. So it's sort of like The Bachelor, but it's not. And she ends up with this kind of Boston guy at the end, like a really rough looking Boston guy, not one of the models. And he claims, his name's Seth, and he claims that he got his 100,000, but after filming stopped, he never saw Jerry, the penthouse apartment or the Lamborghini again. It was all for show. It was very much like kind of what you want from reality TV. It's kind of trashy. There's no real message from it apart from oh maybe men should be kept as well and then the the worst thing for me and why I was particularly devastated when this happened is that about goodness 10 years later maybe a bit longer she then obviously gets together with Rupert Murdoch <laughs> and becomes a kept woman effectively I don't think she's had to work a day in her life since she got together with Rupert Murdoch so it kind of ruined the message for me which is what I was expecting her to be like no I'm gonna have lots of young men on my arm having a great time and she ends up with someone even older to the Mick Jagger who's morally decrepit if not 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 just physically decrepit just an awful man and there was a great quote there's a, a wonderful david dimbleby podcast on audible about called the sun king which is basically about murdoch's purchase of his newspapers in the 70s and they talked to one of the sort of printing union people and he says that when he heard that jerry hall had married rupert murdoch he wished that she would shag him to death because he still hated Murdoch with such a passion. And yet at the same time, it makes me very sad that like that's her role in life, to be some sort of like sex doll. Like Jerry Hall is not a young woman anymore. Like so just looking it up. Yeah, she's in her early 60s, she's 63 now. And she's still seen as this kind of, you know, sexual being because she's kind of, in some ways I feel like victim, I feel like I'm victim blaming here, but she's put herself in that position where she had this great show in Kept where it felt like she was very much in control of the narrative of how she wanted to be portrayed and somehow kind of undoes that in moments because she gets together with Rupert Murdoch and there was never a second series I don't think you can have a second series of that because people are going to say well what happened to the first guy that you were meant to be keeping but I never understood why you just didn't have a different celebrity each time like you could have had there were so many kind of older women you could have had doing that who said look I've just split up from my husband you know I'm now part of the first wives club or whatever and I'm now going to find a much younger man and there have been plenty of again about the you know we're talking about stand-up to at least kind of have some sort of talent with most reality shows these people don't have a talent they are just looking to get on in this case win a hundred thousand pounds to and hang out with jerry hall for a, a bit but it's interesting because vh1 are now involved with shows like drag race so they kind of they're still doing the reality thing but with more purpose I don't think you can really say that Jerry Hall's kept had any purpose apart from just showcasing Jerry Hall and showcasing these men who kind of basically when you search for sorry when you go on Wikipedia and you click on redirected from kept man it basically says gigolo so that implies that that's what that's what Jerry was looking for in this show and I don't think she was I think she was looking really to showcase herself and say look this is me as a personality I'm not Mick Jagger's wife anymore I'm my own woman and it yeah it's a real shame it just didn't work out because she fell for someone with a lot of money and decided to live that life instead well i think it's an interesting show in some ways because it kind of it actually i did have to look into the chronology of all this it's ahead of the curve when i think everything changed but there was a moment around i think it all swung around the really nasty celebrity big brother 
I think everyone knows what we're referring to there. But yeah. before that, reality shows have been getting more and more extreme. They were basically like, I always thought at the time that there used to be a bit on the word called the hopefuls with members of the public say, I'll do anything to get on TV. And they'd have to like drink some yeah. sweat even in the gym and sweat it off. So at least that was honest about what it was doing. Whereas these other shows were really, people were debasing themselves and opening themselves to abuse from the public as well. And the reaction from the producers and even the presenters was, it's a legitimate social experiment. And no, it wasn't. But then things got too nasty and you started to get things like this, Coach Trip, Come Dine With yes. Me, which were much lighter. And it was all about comic mishaps rather than, you know, um, yeah. how can we humiliate this person further? And that, that's how you end up with things like Drag Race. But one weird thing was when I was looking into the chronology, I tried to find out when Rupert Murdoch got together with Jerry Hall as well. And due to the search terms I was using, the first thing that came up was me and you talking about the Leveson Inquiry <laughs> appearance live tweeting it. I can't explain how that happened, but that just seems to be so fitting. But yeah, there was that change, and I think this was an early example of that. There was quite more. I remember this as well, the men, because, I mean, partly because it was men. I think if you had a male celebrity looking for a kept woman, you would have got the same level of bitchiness. But the men were just attacking each other. And it was clearly they were told, look, say something horrible about this guy because that makes good telly. If it had been any other celebrity, you couldn't have kind of thought, okay, these men are just in it for the hundred grand. They've got no interest in Jerry Hall. But Jerry Hall is still a very attractive woman. That was never in doubt. Like you could believe that some of these men would have quite happily been seen on her arm and, and out and about with her. But you're right. I think there is a time where it suddenly gets, and this is it. There's hints of it in this show kept where it gets a bit nasty and it's it's under the guise of its competition. But then reality just becomes nasty for the sake of being nasty, and there isn't even a cash prize at the end of it. There is even there's no even guarantee of fame you know i think we'd say between 2000 and 2005 you might appear on a reality show and you might get like a hello spread or something at the end of it like something tangible where you go oh okay I'm, i can make a bit of money or i can release a record i can do something like that but yeah you're right i think that's celebrity big brother the kind of the general fallout i think you'd be very hard pressed to find many celebrities that want to do that kind of thing the only thing that i can think of that's going on currently is like celebs go dating and i don't think there's anything particularly horrible about that you just don't get the quality of celebrity that you would want <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that i think what celebrity is has changed and i think that early 2000s timeline has changed that it was very much like well you, yeah of course you've appeared in a reality you've been on television you're a celebrity now you don't necessarily have to show that you're particularly talented or even particularly interesting you just need to have been on something that is interesting but we're now getting to the point as i said 2005 where there was so much going on that you just couldn't keep up with it and you would struggle to if these men who I hope they, they're living great lives but I think if they said to someone oh I was on Jerry Hall's cat majority of people would not know what they were talking about because it just was not it was not even kind of with the exception of that kind of controversial poster people just weren't really talking about it as a show and partly because of the channel it was on but also I think people at that point were slowly getting a bit more tired of reality show and just needed to see something that was a bit more interesting and whereas I thought this was great I also think that people were kind of getting sick of the whole dating side of things and just wanted something a bit more you know I think again similarly like with big brother and those kind of relatives at the time they all lived in a house for example together so it was all about conflict and yeah i don't think people necessarily i think i don't know maybe different from maybe american audiences which is i think this was primarily aimed at but british audiences just did not want to see that anymore you kind of by 2005 i think you'd had the normal big brother where you had the fight night oh yes yeah or certainly in that summer 
that's when that happened so they were pushing the line and i don't know how much i've not been on reality show i can imagine that actually a lot of that behavior didn't occur naturally that they were kind of pushed into those positions with anger and frustration and all those things kind of came out but when things like that happen in reality where do you go you have to keep pushing the boundaries because you will constantly be compared to the most extreme thing that your audiences have just seen and i think that's why kept kind of sort of filtered out nothing really extreme happened in it you know it was it was a nice idea it was kind of a very kind of nice concept of a woman keeping a man but there was nothing really to talk about day to day over the water cooler and there was so much else going on at that point that just kind of got lost i think well i mean you say that but let's be honest it's a little bit better remember the kings of comedy or the, the jazz in the vertical comedy standards <laughs> Shani, it's been brilliant thank you thank you, you. Tim Worthington. A big book full of old articles giving a new twist, looking at how and why I ended up on the BBC News channel with a big caption saying, Clangers expert. More details, timworthington.org.